Welcome back to the weekly Trusted Visions podcast. Sean and David, I, I didn't scare you away last week. I guess we're all stuck together. Um, great to have you here. For our audience, I figured it would be good to cover a topic that's that impacts pretty much every advisor, enterprise, or OSJ out there. And it's talking about when or if you've been acquired or when it happens and your broker-dealer has been acquired. And I want to preface that is, is not all acquisitions are necessarily bad. I mean, there, there's been some great acquisitions historically that have made a lot of sense and brought a lot of advantages to financial advisor enterprises and OSJs. What we want to speak specifically of is if you have been acquired, some of those things that you want to look out for, or, or if you start noticing these type of things, it, it's time to have conversations with, with firms like Trusted Visions and determine, hey, is it a plan B? Does my plan B turn into a plan A? Because, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll use the, the, the phrase of head in the sand, which we'll talk about later. But when you've been acquired, that's the last thing you can do is you want to be on the lookout that if some of these things occur, what happens next? And again, I just want to preface, not all acquisitions are bad. Um, a lot of times an acquisition means better technology, bigger scale, um, you know, better financials. But we're going to speak specifically of what to look out for if you have been acquired and some of those changes. So, David, I'm going to start with you. Um, and, you know, speaking historically, when a broker-dealer acquires another broker-dealer, and we've seen that, I think, seven years ago, there was over 5,000 broker-dealers. There's now a little over 3,000. Mm -hmm. And that consolidation is not going to stop with regulation and the cost of doing business and the slim, the slim margins. But, you know, what changes should our audience be looking out for when or if they've been acquired? I appreciate it. Yes. Historically, it's it's been kind of a you know hodgepodge, as you mentioned earlier. Some acquisitions uh, can be hugely popular for their advisors and their clients, and some of those acquisitions are pretty clear cut. You go from one firm to the other firm. This is the way it's going to change, and everything's very upfront, black and white. These are the changes, and this is what you're going to meld to when it comes to your programs and services going forward. But in most acquisitions, or anytime ownership changes in a, in a lot of situations, it's usually somewhat subtle. Nobody's going to come out and say, hey, these are the changes we're making. This is the direction we're going, and this is how it's going to happen. So as an advisor, it makes it somewhat difficult of kind of navigating, you know, what are those historically, what are the trigger points? Where Really, where are the things you should be focusing your attention or really just keeping an, a, a, an eye on what's happening with the, the broker-dealer? And the biggest ones is when you're looking at increase in fees and, and or services. Uh, in a lot of cases, if you've got increase in fees or fees have changed and they get a little bit more complex and you're not quite sure which direction the fees are going and they're you know either taking away services or adding other services at a higher cost, uh, you really got to pay attention to fees because fees are what make our business uh, run in a lot of cases. And that's where a lot of profitability comes into play. So when you start seeing increases in fees and services or the loss of some services out there, that could be a, a pretty big trigger, especially historically, when we start seeing some major changes. And then some any of the programs that you really utilize inside of your practice, and I know that's more of you know looking really deep individually at your practice, but make sure that you've got the core programs, the core competencies that 
that you utilize the most from that broker dealer that they're not going to be uh, changes or if they're if they're stated there's going to be changes come going forward and another big part of it is the service and operational issues because anytime you have any kind of an acquisition or an ownership change there's going to be uh, technology that's not going to like you said earlier Jeremy this technology is not always going to mesh so in some cases that could hinder a lot of service and it could cause a lot of operational issues for you. So if you're starting to see a lot more of that, that is something you definitely want to delve into and kind of see what direction that your, your new broker dealer, your new ownership is, is taking the firm. And one of the big ones, especially in our business, since we're such a, you know, we're such a people driven uh, organization and businesses is, you know, anytime there's leadership departing from the firm. If you've got any kind of, you know, there's been an uptick or you're seeing a lot more leadership leaving the firm, uh, that's going to be a huge uh, red flag of saying, okay, I really need to pay attention uh, to what direction the firm is going to go. For one, you should definitely have your plan B in place as always, but also making sure that you're basically staying, as you said earlier, Jeremy, don't put your head in the sand. You really have to start being a little bit more diligent in what's going on. Uh, with that particular broker dealer. And of course, what you won't see this, you know, this is not usually happens in a lot of cases, but anytime there's a major shift in the core business model, if that, if your particular broker dealer, their, their whole mindset was set, uh, we're going to do it this way. And this is the way we've done it. And this is how we've grown. And then there's going to be either an evolution of what that mindset is going to be going forward or their business model is really going to change. Uh, that that can affect not only you, but it's going to affect basically, you know, the, the historical growth of that broker dealer, what they built and kind of what direction they're going. So those are the things you really want to keep an eye on. And historically, that's usually where the biggest triggers come into play. And then making sure that you've got a, a plan B in place and start having some conversations. But um, what, I, what we've I mentioned in a, we've we've all mentioned in a number of podcasts is communication is key. If you've got, if there's changes coming, if you're not talking, if you're in a part of a branch or an OSJ, there better be communication back and forth. And there also should be communication from your broker dealer on what these changes are going to be and raise your hand, ask questions, find out, make sure that you're comfortable uh, with the direction it's going. If not, make sure you prepare yourself and your clients because there may be a bigger changes coming. Right. And I think to that point, David, when you say raise your hand and ask questions, it's also vital. And I'm not saying this in a bad way, um, but we've seen a lot of acquisitions where they do the solid dance of nothing's going to change and everything's going to stay the same. You know, talk to firms like Trusted Visions or even peers in the industry to know what they're hearing. And I'm not saying these people, that, that, that these owners or leadership are going to mislead you, but they're not always going to tell you, yes, we're going to consolidate everybody into one and we're going to reduce your payouts and increase your fees. I mean, it's that, that's going to hurt them retention-wise. But to your point, David, and for our audience, one question I have for you is when you speak of you know, a cultural shift or a business model shift, what, would you, what advice would you give to our audience if there is a change in leadership and they're bringing, let's say you're an independent broker dealer and you're bringing more wirehouse leadership into um, the, the mix and to lead the way or, or vice versa and not saying that those leaders are, are you know, bad, but they obviously come from a different culture. What advice would you give to our audience if you start seeing the new leadership that's coming in that isn't necessarily 
have the expertise in that that business model, so to speak. Uh, absolutely. And that's what we talked about. I consider that a major shift in the core business model. And when you're looking at uh, really what is built at your individual broker dealer, especially if you're looking at and there's almost every little independent broker dealer or large ones, who, you know, they have a historical history of what they're good at. Uh, they're good in the independent space, the the, the CFP space, the, the there's all kinds of different avenues on that front. And that's huge. Uh, and, uh, you know, a big part of that is when you're looking at, well, are they looking at different clearing options? Have they've always been self-clearing, now they want to change, or they've used other clearing firms, and there's going to be a lot of consolidation. But when you're looking at the mythology of leadership, if the leadership has kind of been hyper-diligent or hyper-focused in a particular area of expertise, eh, that's going to be a huge red flag. You want to make sure that you're really keeping your eyes open, your ears uh, listening to everything that's going on and absolutely having conversations with uh, individuals out there with direction it's going to go because that could be huge because uh, that like anything else uh, change in management is a change in mythology and it's going to be in most cases a huge uh, cultural cultural and or a core business model shift right right yeah and, and to that point we work with a lot of groups that you know have built those personal relationships with leadership and the advice I always give, these, you know, large enterprises or OSJs is those friendships, just because you make a broker dealer change, don't need to go away. If they're true friendships, then they should stick. It's not because you're with one broker dealer. And if if that person or that leader gets upset that you leave and that friendship ends, let's be honest, whether it's personal or professional, it wasn't a friendship to begin with. So David, greatly appreciate it. Sean, I know you've been through a lot of these acquisitions throughout right. your career, right. um, and you've experienced the good, the bad, as David would put it, and the ugly. Right. And let's be honest. I mean, like I said, not all acquisitions are bad, but whoever that buyer is, they're not buying that broker-dealer or network of broker-dealers to lose money. Right. You've got to make a profit. <laughs> um, and so, you know, can you speak to our audience of what your experience has been in terms of, and things to look out for in terms of, you know, those increase in profits and, you know, consolidation once that acquisition happens. Because like I said, I know you have a great amount of experience through this throughout your career. Sure, sure. As Jeremy alluded to, I've had the opportunity to work with a number of broker dealers um, that went through these type of mergers and acquisitions. I've been with a firm that was, was purchased and I've also been with firms that did the purchasing. And, and my advice for any advisor is, is once the smoke is there and you know you're going to be acquired, um, you have to be cognizant of what could possibly take place from day one and prepare yourself for the inevitable. And that, uh, that is a change. Um, as you both uh, you mentioned, you know, not all changes are bad. Um, however, I've witnessed some that are quite a disruption, you know, for an advisor's practice. And really, in my humble opinion, an advisor uh, you know should should have you know maybe considered alternatives as opposed to going through the, uh, the 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 transition because it was more of a headache to stay on board. Uh, but with that, you know, one of the main catalysts I guess for this type of disruption is the uh, broker dealer consolidation. Um, in my opinion, that is, I mean, that's what spirals. Um, the disruption. So when a a company comes in and acquires a number of broker-dealers in most cases, 
it's profitable and let's be honest, it's good business sense to limit overhead. Uh, I'm speaking for myself. If I went out and purchased several businesses and each business had, you know, a back office or each business had a vice president, each business had a president, it's not profitable for me to maintain that business model. So uh, going into the, you know, our realm, you know, the broker dealer space, the same philosophy exists, um, you know, as a, as a, you know, uh, whether it's a private equity firm or, or just a, a company in general, when they acquire multiple entities, they have to look at the bottom line. And so typically when that happens, um, we've all witnessed it. Mergers will take place. Um, some broker dealers, you know, will dissolve rather and, and just merge into another firm. And for an advisor, that means, you know, first of all, a change of culture. If you're an advisor that was at a smaller firm, typically, quite fr frankly, the smaller firms are the ones that get picked on the most. Um, they're typically the firms that have to, you know, merge with Big Brother. And, um, you know, if you're at a smaller firm, in most cases, you're able to contact that president. They know you by your first name. You're able to, if you have any issue, there's a person that's been there 25, 30 years in that home office, you can call and knows everything about your practice. Well, that goes away immediately. That goes away overnight. So now your culture is more of that large firm uh, culture that, that you didn't want, uh, that you were apprehensive about, you know, which is why you stayed with the uh, small firm. Um, a potential change in pricing, uh, which uh, Dave kind of touched you know, during his uh, you know, presentation. And also something Jeremy uh, mentioned, which is true, very true, um, the technology delays. Um, there is a uh, merger, you know, that I was associated with, which there was a, a, a shift in technology. And that presented a huge problem uh, for the advisor uh, to a point where clients didn't have access to their accounts. Um, and they're accustomed to a, a platform that they would log into, and that was no longer in existence. So not only was the advisor experiencing issues just processing day-to-day -day business, um, the advisor also experienced issues with clients calling because they could not access their accounts. And then on top of that, because this technology was new, because his firm was new, the advisor had no contact person. Uh, from the home office to even call to ask questions. It was just waiting on a regional manager to give him a call and, and schedule an appointment uh, to fix these issues. But these issues were detrimental to, to his practice. So uh, those are some of the things that can take place uh, through these consolidations. And, and you just want to be, as I mentioned, an advisor, you want to be cognizant of that. Hey, Sean, and, and we all know this because we spent years in, in the shoes of corporate recruiters. And, and when news catches that, hey, this firm's looking to be acquired or has been acquired, everybody, every broker dealer, every recruiter is calling them. Right. Pounding. I mean, we've talked to advisors or OSJs or enterprises who are like, you're my 200th call today. Right. <laughs> what advice would you give to those advisors, OSJs and enterprises when you do find out it's been acquired? How do you navigate through and eliminate the bombardment of calls um, when that happens? Well, I think, however, when you start receiving, if you're an advisor, you start receiving a number of calls, an occasional recruiting call will happen uh, because you have you know, folks like us and, and others that are you know, out you know, trying to find advisors that are, are looking for a new home. 
However, when you start to see the uptick and, and there's 10, 15 <laughs> recruiters calling you, there is an issue. <laughs> we all and we all got the memo and we know there's an issue. So how you limit the calls is very difficult, um, you know, to to I, I would say. I mean, you, you have to just, you know, mention to the recruiter that, you know, you're going to wait things out, you know, um, you're going to see what's going to happen or, you know, maybe consult with the team like Trust Divisions where, you know, we can eliminate, you know, the, the, the number of calls by working with us. I mean, we'll do the due diligence for you and we'll definitely make sure that we find the, the right fit uh, you know, for, for your business. So I, I definitely would suggest hiring a firm like ours or yeah, just be transparent and tell the recruiters, yeah. that, hey, I'm not going to entertain all of you guys. Yeah, and that's the thing is, is working with a firm like Trusted Visions, it's not going to eliminate the calls, but it will certainly eliminate the amount of time you have to spend with all of them. And, and then last question, Sean, having been through these, you know, and, and there's a couple of scenarios that we've seen in the past where new leadership comes in and says, hey, one of my first commitments is we're going to enhance technology and it's going to get rolled out next month or the month after. Right. For our audience, let's say that that commitment, that initial commitment with these people that you don't have a relationship with, don't come to fruition in the time frame that they're committing to. And that's their first commitment to you. So it's pretty much a first impression or a first right. date. Right. Is that a red flag for our audience if, if commitments are made early on that, aren't followed through on or, or met? In my opinion, yes, because it's, typic it's typically a just retention measure. Um, th there's no seriousness about, you know, rolling out this technology or it could be in its infancy stages to where it's probably not going to get rolled out to a year or two from you having that conversation. So I, I do believe that, you know, you have to be careful as an advisor when you hear a lot of the promises early on because they want to keep you in your seat because most of these ownership companies know that you are the bottom line. Uh, most know, I, even though I'm questioning some of these firms out here, <laughs> but most should know that you are the bottom line and they need to keep you in the seat if they wanna remain profitable. So they have to sell you the story that nothing's gonna change. Uh, typically when you hear that early on, expect something to change. Uh, but that is, that's a classic phrase in my opinion, You know, nothing's gonna change. Everything's going to stay the same. You know, you're not even going to have any noticeable differences. Um, that's typically one. And then, uh, you know, promises are going to follow, you know, technology, marketing, uh, you name it. It's going to sound like the best thing that ever happened. But, you know, if you hear that early on, I it's typically a retention measure. Or if, if you're an advisor that's, you know, want to, uh, you know, make sure that they're, you know, being honest with you, ask questions. You know, ask ask questions. Say, hey, if we're rolling out this technology, can you tell me about it? Um, can you tell me, you know, you know how it's going to impact my my daily business, my flow, my efficiency in my office? You know, ask additional questions. Marketing. What type of marketing do you have for me? You say you have marketing for me. Uh, what is it? Um, so if you if you want to, uh, you know, do that to kind of you know dispel maybe some of these retention uh, measures, feel free to do so. However, in my opinion. I have to lean towards is just a retention measure. And from my experience, that's pretty much what it's been. Yeah. <laughs> in most cases, I have seen some come through, yep. but in most cases, it's just something to keep you there. And great points there, Sean. And, and so I'm going to uh, close this out. And this is the phrase that, that I have to say 
drives me crazy is, you know, the head in the sand analogy of, you know, when these changes take place, you know, rather than doing some of the suggestions of either David or Sean and, and figuring out a plan B, you kind of stick your head in the sand. And which is completely opposite of what you're advising your clients day in and day out to do is to prepare for the, the unexpected. And so my point in that is, is if you're an advisor, especially if you're an OSA or enterprise, when you have been acquired, it's vital that you're out looking for other options. Not saying you have to move, but should some of those cultural or business model shifts or technology or access to leadership change, it's not going to you know, change in the next year or two. It's going to change unexpectedly. And so you have to be able to be able to pivot and pivot quickly should that business model shift happen rapidly. I mean, it, it's not like they're going to come out to you and say, Sean, in 12, 18 months, we're going to shift our business model from X to Y. Right. It's, hey, Sean, starting next month, we're shifting our business model. Well, you, right. especially as an OSJ or enterprise, can't just make a broker dealer change in a week or two or even right. 30 right. days. So, right. you know, and if you're being pushed to make your plan B into a plan A, then you probably need to work with another recruiter or another firm. But, you know, you're also doing a disservice to your advisors that are within your OSJ or enterprise. And what I mean by that is you're there and your staff is there. Part of your value proposition is to serve and support your advisors. I don't know how many OSJs I can almost assure you that 99.9% .9 of those OSJs have that somewhere in their value prop is we're here to serve and support you. Right. Well, part of serving and supporting them is making sure that you have a contingency plan should things go awry. If, if they start increasing fees or charging fees that no other broker dealer is, we've seen that this year, um, decreasing payouts, increasing advisory um, pricing, consolidating the broker dealers into another, changing leadership. Your advisors are going to notice that. And if you're not doing the due diligence for them, then they're going to do it on their own. And don't be, I hate to say it, don't be foolish enough to think my advisors are never going to leave me because they love me. Well, if something is negatively impacting their business within this acquisition, they're going to be forced to make a move. And not only that, to, to your point, Sean, where they're getting 20, 30, 50 calls a day. Those recruiters aren't just calling those OSJs or enterprises. They're calling your advisors. And right. something is going to pique that advisor's interest to the point where, hey, maybe I should start looking. And so my point in that is, especially if you're an OSJ or enterprise leader, communicate with your advisors and say, hey, I am conducting due diligence on our, our group's behalf. It's a plan B. I'm going to come back to you and, and let you know where my head is and, and tell you the broker dealers that I think are the best fit for us. Again, it's not telling them we're making a move. It's simply telling them I am doing the work just as I process your business on a daily basis. I'm doing the legwork for you so that we all have a contingency plan and you have a voice in this. Because if you're trying to remain silent and say, hey, nothing's going to change, and then you start seeing leadership changing, or, hey, they're going to roll out this, this great technology next month, and it doesn't happen. If, if that doesn't happen, your advisors are going to start to second-guess you as an OSJR enterprise leader. And, and so it's vital that just as you instruct your clients, that you instruct your advisors to 
don't put your head in the sand. It's okay. It's not causing a disloyalty by looking around and figuring out what the best option is for you. I mean, we've worked with some really large groups. We continue to work with some large groups that we have very unique tools and resources in place to help them move. And so my suggestion to our audience is, is work with a firm like Trusted Visions simply to put that plan B together. So with that being said, to our audience, thank you very much for listening. Sean, David, thank you for, for your input. Our audience you know, enjoys the experience that the two of you bring in the extensive um, industry knowledge you have. Should you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to Trusted Visions at info at trustedvisions.com. Comment on our LinkedIn or Facebook page. We hope that everybody has a great week and we will be back next week um, with a new topic. Sean, David, thank you again.